John 10, verses 1 through 15. I am the good shepherd. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and is, and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Awesome, thank you. Uh, hey, good morning again, you guys. It's great to be with you to open up God's word together. Uh, this morning, we're gonna be looking at the scriptures to learn about what it means when the Bible says that Jesus is our good shepherd, our good shepherd. How many of you guys have heard that phrase before? And so we're, we're going to talk about what does it mean when, we, when the Bible says that Jesus is our good shepherd? What does that mean and why should that bring comfort to us? Why should that bring uh, peace and solace to our hearts and to our souls. Now, to understand the metaphor of a good shepherd, we need to understand just the idea behind that word shepherd in its original uh, biblical context. We see in so many different places throughout the scriptures, uh, that's why we're, we're called sheep, like in Psalm 100, where it says, know that the Lord, he is God, it is he, it is God who made us and we are his, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. I mean, the Bible is so rich with this sheep shepherd imagery. And, and we tend to be at a disadvantage. We actually are at a disadvantage uh, in understanding that because we don't have any modern personal references for that word uh, shepherd sort of filed away in our minds, right? Like if I say the word beach, if I say beach, you have this image that comes to mind. You have a reference filed away. Uh, your brain just goes, da -da 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 -da, beach, right? And then this image comes to mind, maybe smells or sounds come to mind. Uh, an image of, of sand with kids running around, families scattered everywhere, waves crashing on the shore, uh, surfers out on the water. Uh, but if you hear the word shepherd, um, you're probably not thinking of, you don't have a file for first century shepherd. You're probably thinking like, oh, German shepherd or I don't know, Dak shepherd. Uh, most of us don't have a reference 
for the huge flocks of sheep and the dogs and the tools that are used for a first century shepherd and, and the methods that they use to get hundreds of sheep out of a corral, out into the pasture and to, to get for have one guy lead all these sheep from, from one hill on over to the next. But you see, in, in the first century, they understood that shepherding was a very involved occupation. It was a very personal occupation. Like a shepherd would stick with the same flock for years. For years and years, he would know every sheep in the flock by its name. Often he gave them names based on character traits of theirs. And so that means that the shepherd knew uh, each sheep in very detailed ways. Uh, he would tend to each one uh, of these sheep. If a single sheep got stuck in a muddy ditch, uh, the shepherd would would, would pick up the sheep, uh, hoist it onto his back, and carry it to safety up a hill. If a wolf came around, the shepherd would assume this fighting stance with his, with his staff. He would get in front of the sheep to defend them. Uh, it was this really involved, really personal, uh, really exhausting uh, uh, um, uh, occupation. It was a 24-hour-a-day job that required a whole lot of care. Sheep could not survive on their own in any sense of that word. And that's why there isn't a more piercing image of a tragedy for the first century mind than to have a sheep without any shepherd. And that's exactly the heart of Jesus. In Matthew 9, it says, When then Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And so his heart breaks for these people. He sees the people out on the horizon and his heart breaks for them because they're sheep without a shepherd. He sees them as people who need protection, as people who need defending, as people who need guidance, as people who need their lives preserved. He looks across at our land. He looks across the world and every nation and every tongue and he sees the same thing. Jesus has compassion for all peoples, especially when he says sheep when he sees sheep without a shepherd. And so what I want us to do now is, is to turn over to John chapter 9. And I want us to cap, catch a glimpse of the heart of Jesus in John chapter 10. Uh, I think I said 9, but I meant John chapter 10. Uh, and I want us to turn there and catch a glimpse of what it means for, for us in our time. What does it mean for us uh, to say that Jesus is a good uh, shepherd? I think this is a word we'll need this morning because I think a lot of us are feeling uh, sort of helpless and vulnerable this morning. Maybe you're feeling that way. Uh, and so uh, my hope and prayer is that this sermon, that this teaching from the scriptures would be uh, a comfort and encouragement to you. Uh, so would you join me in, in praying? Uh, and then we'll go ahead and, and jump into uh, God's word. Uh, Father, I thank you so much. Uh, just for uh, every single man, woman, and child on the other end of this lens, of this screen, uh, of this morning's live stream. Um, Lord, it's no mistake that every person that's tuning in, 
is tuning in uh, to hear this message. And so regardless uh, of, of where these men, women, and children are at personally in their faith or in their walk, uh, I pray, God, that you would just open the eyes of all our hearts uh, to see how this passage and this scripture, to see how you specifically want it to speak to us as individuals, as a collective people in our communities, in our church. Uh, and uh, would, you, um, would you, Lord, just as your children, just feed us. Uh, with a good spiritual meal uh, through this passage of scripture. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right, so here's our first point for this morning. It's a good shepherd has a meaningful relationship with his sheep. A good shepherd, we're talking about three different things that mark a good shepherd in our passage this morning. And the first thing we'll look at is how he has a meaningful relationship with his sheep. Uh, read about this in verses one through three with me. This is the words of Jesus here. And he's saying, truly, truly, I say to you, speaking to his disciples, he says, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Now, here's what's happening. Here's what he's describing in these few verses. Uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples uh, about the relationship between a true, a true good shepherd and false shepherds, right? That's what he's describing here. He's saying, uh, uh, he's describing Jewish shepherds in the first century, how they would keep their sheep in, in this sort of shallow walled corral. All right, so just picture it, right? Picture this, this open field with a, a shallow wall that's only about this high, right? Uh, with rocks like all the way around to keep all of these sheep in, uh, this corral made of stone. Uh, and then there's this, it goes all the way around, but then there's this opening on one side, all right? And at that opening uh, in, in the front, uh, there is a gate that stands right there. And most of the time, uh, there were a few different flocks contained inside the corralled area. And so this picture that Jesus is giving us or giving his disciples is where this shepherd walks up to take his sheep out to the pasture, right? The pasture is where the sheep would go out, just kind of get get moving where they would uh, eat where they would eat the grass uh, where they could be able to lay down and rest uh, to um, where they can sort of socialize amongst each other and breed and things like that and, and drink water and stuff like that so that's that's what the purpose was of, of a shepherd taking the sheep out uh, to uh, the pasture. And so basically the idea is that the sheep like lived for the pasture, right? And so the shepherd comes in up to the corral, uh, to take his sheep to where they love to go out to the pasture. Uh, and as the shepherd walks up in this picture that Jesus gives us, there's a gatekeeper there and the gatekeeper automatically re recognizes, uh, this shepherd. And so opens the gate for him. And then the shepherd will enter the area and start walking among all the mixed, uh, different flocks of sheep. Now to anybody who's unfamiliar with this scenario, which would include most of us, right? To anyone who's unfamiliar, that would kind of sound like a problem. Right. 
Like, uh, like how, what is, what does the shepherd think he's going to do, right? If there's all these different flocks of sheep within one corral, how is he going to find his sheep? Like, did they have tags back then? You know, did they, uh, they mark, uh, a sheep on the shoulder with, you know, like colored markers or things like that. Like, how did they, they do that? Um, but then the picture Jesus gives us is that the shepherd is he would start talking to the sheep with his voice. He would project his voice and sort of impose the way they did it back then is they would impose uh, uh, sort of like this beautiful musical way of calling out to their sheep, right? Uh, and so, so sort of like a sing song way of calling out to their sheep uh, in a way that only the sheep of that shepherd would respond. And so in this way, uh, only the shepherd, the shepherd's sheep would, 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 would start to come out and follow him, right? Just picture how fascinating this, this scene would look. Uh, and so in this way, this, he separates out his own flock from the rest, uh, and then only, only them, only his own sheep, will follow him out to the pasture. Now, I want you to see here in verse 3 when it says that his sheep hear his voice. <clears throat> that word, therefore, here is the Greek akue. Akue or akuo, uh, which is more, it, it, which is uh, less of like a passive sort of hearing. Like, like oh yeah, like I heard that, that sound uh, in, in the distance, but it's more like an attentive sort of hearing. That's what it's more like. And so it's like this active listening. Now, the point of me describing that is that this idea that Jesus is getting across by using that word is one of familiarity, right? It's one of familiarity where this, this the sheep, it's like they really know his voice. They're intently listening. Uh, uh, they're, they're attentively hearing his, him call out to them by name. Uh, and so they start to follow him. Uh, you know, back then, sometimes... A shepherd, the shepherds would kind of, you know, like uh, hang out and, and in order to sort of flex their shepherding skills, uh, they would challenge each other. They would challenge their other shepherding friends uh, to try on their own clothes and try to call out to, 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 the, to their sheep. Uh, so it's like, hey, man, you think you're such a great shepherd? You know, like, well, why don't you try putting on my clothes and see if you can if you can corral like my sheep to come out uh, for you. Uh, but see, the sheep of a good shepherd, uh, the sheep of a killer shepherd, the, 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 the sheep of uh, a shepherd that was just on top of his game would only obey the voice of that shepherd. They would only obey the voice of the one that they actually know. And that's what Jesus is getting at when he says the sheep hear his voice. If you look down at verse 14 and 15, uh, those verses even color in even more just the familiarity that the sheep have with their good shepherd. In verse 14, it's, he, he says, I am the good shepherd. Jesus just flat out says it. He says, I am that good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, what he says there, when, that, when those words land on your ears, that should be staggering to you, right? Did you see that in verse 15 when he says, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, 
that's how well I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Uh, like, man, he's, he's talking about a really intimate knowledge uh, between the sheep and the shepherd. Like, how well do you think the father knows the son? Like, if you were to guess, like, how well does God the Father know God the Son? Uh, I mean, the, the amount of just intimate knowledge the Father would have towards the Son would just be uh, just infinite, right? It'd be so massive. There's no greater expression than the one that Jesus chose here for uh, intimately knowing someone. You see, this tells us that Jesus knows us in the most profound of ways. He knows you better than your spouse knows you. He knows your child better than you know that child. He knows us in the most profound of ways. He knows all the wonderful and unique things about us, and he also knows all the ugliest and and darkest secret things about us. He knows all about our past and its failures. He knows about the hurts that we carry with us to this day. He knows about all our brokenness, and he knows about all our wickedness. And yet, look how amazing this is. I lay down my life for the sheep. In the midst of all our brokenness and all our wickedness, he still loves us. He still gives himself up for us. Tim Keller, in one of his books, he tells this story of a Russian officer uh, who was embezzling funds uh, from uh, the battalion that he uh, oversaw. And he came to this point to where uh, he embezzled so much money and he was realizing from all the paper trails that he was going to get caught. Uh, that he was going to get discovered for this. Uh, and, and he just felt so much guilt and so much shame uh, that he thought the most, uh, the best and most freeing thing for him to do in that moment would be uh, to just kill himself. And so he comes to this decision. He's looking over at all the papers. He's realizing he's going to get discovered. Uh, and he decides, I just need to end it for myself. Uh, but on that night, he gets so just plastered. He gets so drunk, just uh, drinking his sadness uh, away and his fears away. Uh, he just gets so drunk uh, before he intends to uh, kill himself that he, he actually passes out. And then the Tsar, the Cesar, uh, which is sort of like a, a kingly figure that ruled at the time, uh, the Tsar found him uh, in his room. In, in, in that room, uh, and, and, and he sees this man uh, passed out uh, drinking, and he sees, uh, I think, like a dagger or something that he was going to use, uh, and then he also looks at all the paperwork, and he figures out, this czar figures out what just happened. He figures out that this guy, that this uh, trusted soldier of his was embezzling money, figures out that he realized he was going to get caught and decided to end his life, but got drunk before he could uh, finish, finish himself off. And so um, what the, 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 uh, when he figures out what happened, uh, the, the czar uh, writes a note uh, and, and leaves it uh, right in front, of, in front of this man, in front of the soldier, um, the officer. Uh, with his his own seal, the seal of the czar on it. Uh, and, and in that note, he says, I will forgive your debt. Don't worry about it. 
I will forgive your debt. Uh, now, when this man woke up, when this man woke up, he sees the note that the czar uh, left him uh, and sees that the czar basically knows everything that he did, everything that he's guilty of, every single way that he betrayed him. Uh, and yet he is so overcome, uh, overwhelmed by the grace from this czar that he says, how is it that this man, this czar has seen my heart and seen my sin to the very bottom and he still will redeem me? He's just overwhelmed. He's like, how is it that he's seen my heart and seen my sin to the bottom and he will still redeem me? You see, that's what this chapter is saying. That's what those verses right there in 14 and 15 are saying. You have a shepherd in Jesus, a good shepherd who knows your sin, your sin all the way to the bottom. And yet he's willing to lay his life down to bring you all the way to the top, to the heavens, up where he is. You see, imagine what it feels like just to, to, to have that kind of weight lifted, to experience that kind of joy. Uh, what kind of weight lifted, what kind of freedom do you think that that soldier, that officer experienced when he read that letter and exclaimed, he has seen my heart and seen my sin to the bottom, and yet he will still redeem me? You see, that kind of freedom, that kind of joy that officer must have felt is the same thing that Jesus uh, uh, offers for you. That same type of freedom is the same freedom that Jesus offers you and me through his life, death, and resurrection. All right, read verse 4 and 5 with me. Jesus says when, when he, speaking of the shepherd, when he, the shepherd, has brought out all his own, all his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Now what's he saying? He's saying, look, if you are a stranger to the things of Jesus, then you do not belong to him. You are not one of his own. You won't know his Voice. If you're not acquainted with his voice, then you don't belong to him. The good news, though, is that this good shepherd offers a free invitation to anybody. He offers a free invitation, an eternal relationship with himself. You don't have to stay corralled in the pen. Uh, you don't have to stay corralled and confused. You can be invited out into the pasture with that good shepherd. If you are a disciple of Jesus, then this relationship changes everything for you. If you already know Jesus, please know that this relationship should then change everything for you. If you have a relationship with him, then you should know his voice over all the other uh, vying voices that are vying for our attention. Look, your good shepherd is not that influencer that you follow on Instagram. It's not that news anchor that you watch or that, that podcaster that you subscribe to. Your good shepherd is not the Republican Party, nor is it the Democratic Party or the Tea Party. 
Not that those things, any of those things can't be right sometimes, but they are not your good shepherd. They are not the loudest voice that you should have turned up. They are not the most important voice that you should be attentively hearing. Do you get me? So whose voice are you following the most? Whose voice are you attentively hearing? Whose voice is it that you are most drawn to? Look, man, we live in a season right now, um, a season where between uh, uh, media and social media and just the political landscape we, 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 we live in, everyone is screaming at us to be on their side, to look at things this way, uh, to do this and to say that, right? Or else you'll be canceled. And so, look, we, we, we can't give in to the pressures of, of, of that. Again, it's not that those things might not be true from time to time. But look, the loudest voice that you need to be concerned about, the one voice that you need to be drawn to and that you need to care about the most is the voice of the good shepherd. That's the one you should be drawn to the most. Verse 6 says, this figure of speech that Jesus used with them, this metaphor, uh, they did not understand what he was saying to them. And so this is basically telling us the disciples that were listening to him, they got the picture he was selling, but they didn't understand the spiritual meaning sort of behind it. And so we're going to get into that in the next uh, few verses. Uh, this is our second point, that the good shepherd provides for his sheep. The good shepherd provides for his sheep. Read verse 7 through 10 with me. It says, so Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, and all who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door, and if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Now, what does Jesus mean when he says, I am the door? That's kind of an interesting phrase, right? What does he mean when he say, says that? There's a famous old preacher by the name of G. Campbell Morgan. Uh, he, he ministered in the early 1900s. Um, and he tells a story once about how he ran into this Old Testament uh, scholar when he was on this boat boating trip. And uh, he just really hit it off with this Old Testament scholar, and they started swapping stories. Uh, and G. Campbell Morgan records that his favorite story that this scholar um, told him uh, was about a sheep and a shepherd. And uh, I'll, I'll just read it uh, to you. Uh, Morgan tells a story and he says, he was one day, uh, the, the scholar was one day traveling with a guy and came across a shepherd and a sheep. He found a conversation with him. And the man showed him the fold into which the sheep were led at night. It consisted of four walls with a single way in. Sir George, uh, that's the scholar, uh, Sir George said to him, uh, to the shepherd, that is where they go at night? Yes, says the shepherd. And when they are in there, they are perfectly safe. But there's no door, said Sir George. I am the door, said the shepherd. He was not a Christian man. He was not speaking in the language of the New Testament. He was speaking from the Arab shepherd's standpoint. Sir George looked at him and said, 
what do you mean by the door? And the shepherd said, when the light has gone and all the sheep are inside, I lie down in the open space and no sheep ever goes out but across my body and no wolf comes in unless he crosses my body. I am the door. You see, that's what Jesus means when he says, I am the door. Don't you love that? He's saying, I am the living door. In order to get into the fold, in order to get into the flock, you got to go through me. But also in order to get out to the pasture, you got to be led by me. You got to go through me as well. You see, he's both the protector of us and the provider. He talks about uh, the the the, uh, the the enemy uh, in, in here, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, uh, using using a language uh, in the New Testament that we have of the devil, right? How we all have a spiritual enemy who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy us. Jesus says, "Look, Satan's got no uh, no claim on you. He's got to come through me, right? He's got to come through me, and I will protect you." But he also says, look, like you're not going out to the pasture. You're not going to experience fullness of life unless you also come through me, unless you're led by me. He's both protector and provider. He protects us from all the threats out there, uh, saying, like, you know, you're not only saved by him, but you're kept safe by him, too, by trusting in him by leaning on him, by abiding in him. He's also that provider. He says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Look, a lot of people think that religion is a killjoy, right? That there's nothing fun uh, about it. And it can be. It can be when it's not centered on the gospel. When religion is centered on your own self-righteousness, then yeah, it's totally a killjoy. It's totally exhausting. It's totally all about the outside, about looking good on the outside and rotting on the inside, right? But true religion, uh, uh, the, the, the kind that the, the, the gospel speaks to is, is one that is centered on Jesus, where it's not so much built on our self-righteousness, but it's built on Christ's righteousness. And see, when you have that kind, when you have a grace-driven relationship with Jesus, you start to see his desires for you and his commands to you. You start to see them as true life. You start to see a relationship with him as the fuel that keeps you going. You start to see him, him himself, as the source of all your joy. You start to turn only to him to discover truth, goodness, and beauty, and to see that the truth, goodness, and beauty that's found in him supersedes anything else that you could find in the created world. You see, the Bible paints this picture for us, that Jesus is a good shepherd that leads his sheep into green pastures, green pastures. That means lush pastures. He leads his sheep beside still waters. He pursues stray sheep, protects them from dangerous plants, from thieves and wolves and enemies. He gets them to the best water that they can drink from and to the most nourishing food he provides for and sustains uh, their, their health. You see, if a sheep constantly goes astray, wandering into dangerous territory, you know what a good shepherd will do? 
You know what a good shepherd will do? A good shepherd will take a sheep who constantly goes astray uh, and they'll break the legs of that sheep and then pick the sheep up and carry it on its shoulder uh, for the rest of the day uh, or for however long it takes until those legs start to heal. And then when the sheep learns uh, from that moment for the rest of its life, uh, it will stay right next to that shepherd. It will never veer from the flock again. Now, I know that kind of sounds aggressive, but I also think it's kind of cool, right? That the shepherd takes no joy in breaking the sheep's leg, but he does it for the good of the sheep. I mean, look, I don't want my legs broken, but that's strangely comforting knowing that if I'm running in a way that's going to lead to my death, if there's someone that loves me enough that knows that if I'm left to myself that I'm just going to keep running uh, towards death, uh, that if somebody loves me enough to break my leg so that I can no longer run that way and will go the next step to actually carry me onto their back, carry my own weight for me and take me to, tr to life and safety – uh, and, and, and protect me, um, man, like that, that's love. That's pretty rad that somebody would do that for me. And that's what Jesus is getting at here. Uh, when, when we see in verse seven through 10, that, that he is a good shepherd that provides what his sheep needs. He defends us. He protects us. He provides for us, uh, for our own life and, uh, abundant flourishing. Which leads us to our third and final point, which is that a good shepherd cares for his sheep. A good shepherd cares for his sheep. Read verses 11 through 15 with me. Jesus is speaking again and he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, earlier we read uh, in Matthew 9 about Jesus' compassion. He looked out over all the crowds and he had uh, compassion uh, uh, for, for them. That, that, that word for compassion is the Greek, which means to be moved in your bowels. Right? I mean, the word kind of sounds like that, right? Like, right? it's to be but it's to be moved in your bowels, basically saying like, look, from the deepest part of your guts, like Jesus was churned, his stomach churned with compassion for all of these people. See, Jesus isn't like a hired hand, like the one that's described here in John 10. He's not like some dude who's just playing the role of shepherd, right? Uh, he was just hired. He's got no real relationship with the sheep. They don't know him. He doesn't know them, right? He's got no time invested into them. He's got no care or compassion or real love or relationship that is invested into those sheep. Uh, and so he's just a hired hand. He was just paid to do a job. But you know, when push comes to shove, he's, he'll get to a point where he's like, you know, this money isn't worth it for me. And he's going to bounce, right? Jesus is saying, look, he's not like that. 
He's not like some dude who's just playing the role of a savior because he has to, because he was hired to. No, Jesus' heart is overwhelming with sacrificial love. I want you to notice uh, how that compassion, um, um, how that compassion fleshes itself out in this passage. Jesus has so much compassion, so much care for his sheep that he's willing to, 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 to do what? Lay down his life for them. He, the shepherd, is willing to lay down his life for the sheep. We see that in verse uh, uh, 11. I am the good shepherd, he says. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We saw this in verse 5 earlier when he says, I lay down my life for the sheep. Uh, later on uh, in the chapter, in verses 17 and 18, we see uh, he says, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life, that I may take it up again. Uh, and no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Jesus is saying, look, no one's taking my life from me. I'm laying it down. I'm giving it up. This is my decision. This is something I'm doing. I'm sacrificing in order to save. He's saying, I'm going to lay down my life to kill the wolf once and for all, to defeat the one who came to kill, steal, and destroy. In order to defeat all evil, all sin, and even death itself, Jesus lays down his life. How does that work? How does that work? How does this laying down his life uh, work? It's when Jesus goes to the cross. When Jesus stands, or rather hangs, in our place for our sins. You see, Jesus lived the only perfect righteous life, the only perfect righteous human life that ever lived, that ever walked this planet. Jesus is the only human to never disobey God's law. Jesus is the only person to truly live in light of truth, in light of goodness and justice and beauty. Every single other person from the garden until now uh, has failed at that. Jesus is and, and is therefore um, and, and has therefore been condemned uh, to, to death. But Jesus is the only one who did not deserve uh, that um, uh, that that punishment. He's the only righteous one, the only perfect human life. Yet he lived that life for us. He came down, put on human flesh. And he wasn't just part human. He was human in every sense of the word. So he became man, the God of the universe, the creator of all, put on human flesh, walked the dirty, grimy ground that you and I walked, the dirt that he created, in this tiny planet that he created. And he lived the perfect life to reflect uh, true goodness, to retract his his true character and, and, and nature, the good life that we all long for. Jesus lived that, a pure life. He lived the life that we could never live, and yet he died the, the death that you and I deserve to die, the death uh, of receiving the righteous judgment and wrath of God. He 
died the death that we deserve to die when he hung on the cross in our place, absorbing God's wrath for our sins. And three days later, he rose in triumphant victory so that the wolf can no longer have a claim on us, so that Satan and sin can have no claim on us, so that evil and death can have no claim on us. He lived the life we could never live, died the death that we deserve to die, and rose in triumphant victory over evil, sin, and death, so that we could be with him forever in the green pastures of eternity, eternity, the good life that you and I all long for and look forward to. That's how much Jesus cares for us. That's how much compassion he has over the crowds and for his people. Now look, I want us to wrap up now by, by, by looking at uh, Jesus' claim that we just read in verse 11 when he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. Man, I hope that uh, on the other side of this sermon that you feel like um, you have a better sense of what it means to say that Jesus is a good shepherd. And then you see that not only is he a good shepherd, but he's a true shepherd. He's a beautiful shepherd. He's an amazing, magnificent, wonderful shepherd. I hope that uh, on the other side of the sermon that you uh, can honestly say that you have a better sense of what it means to say that Jesus is a good shepherd. Um, over a century ago, uh, the great prince of preachers, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he wrote this meditation uh, on that title on what it means uh, to say that Jesus is a good shepherd. Here's what he said. He says, look, there's more in Jesus, the good shepherd, than you can pack away in, in just any shepherd. He is the good, the great, the chief shepherd, but he is much more. Emblems to set him forth may be multiplied as the drops of the morning, but the whole multitude will fail to reflect all his brightness. Creation is too small a frame in which to hang his likeness. Human thought is too contracted. Human speech is too feeble to set him forth to the full. He is inconceivably above our conceptions unutterably above our utterances. In other words, he's just beyond all words. He's beyond all comprehension. He is the Lord God over all, the only one who's worthy of our praise. This is the good shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, do you love him? Do you trust him? Do you know him? Do you find yourself drawn to him? This wonderful Jesus, will you follow him? Why is he so wonderful? Because of how he relates to us. He calls us by name. He knows us. And he sees our every single need. He's relationally close to us. Why is he so wonderful? It's because he's the door. The door that provides salvation, the door that protects us from, uh, from evil and brokenness, the door that, that takes us and leads us to fullness of true life. 
Again, why is he so wonderful? It's because of his compassionate heart, his compassion towards us, his compassion that led him to lay down his life for you and for me to offer us a place not only in his flock, but in his forever family. Look, verse 16, Jesus says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. You know who he's talking about there? He's talking about us. He tells his disciples, look, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. He's telling his disciples, look, there are many others in other places and in other generations to come that I must bring and they will listen to my voice. He's talking about you and me. Look, I want you to find comfort in this fact that if you are a follower of Jesus, or look, maybe you're not a follower of Jesus yet, but you feel Jesus drawing on your heart and you will be, <laughs> you will be. Uh, if you're either a follower of Jesus or a soon-to-be follower of Jesus, I want you to find comfort in this wonderful fact that this verse right here is about you. You want to know where you're at in the Bible? Man, this verse right here is specifically written for you. When Jesus says, I must bring them also and they will hear my voice. Look, if you don't know Jesus this morning in this way, I want to invite you to walk through the door. Walk through the living door. Walk through Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life. Come into the flock. Come into the family. And knowing, know that following him isn't a killjoy, but it's true joy. It's abundant life, and it's offered freely to anyone who wants to turn from their sin and, 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 and trust in him, follow him. If you do know Jesus, if you are already a follower of him, then I want you to take from this that God wants you to enjoy the full benefits of his abundant life. He wants you to enjoy the fullness of what it means to be a member of his flock. And so I invite you to worship him, to abide in him, to follow him, and to let your life just put on display to the world the transforming grace of God in your life. Put on display to the world the amazing grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening to the King's Cross Church Podcast. We'd like to encourage listeners to be part of a local church gathering. If you're ever in the Orange County, California area, we'd love it if you'd come by and visit on a Sunday morning. For meeting times and locations or any other information about us, please visit kx.church. There's no .com in that, just kx.church. Thanks again for listening.